So I know nobody uses those phrases, but that is what it is. So I joked the other day, I didn't know if Texas A&M was gonna incur a luxury tax, you know, and um, how much they paid for their signing class. Uh, I know it's been on your mind. So you stacked ten, top 10 classes together now for four years in a row. I don't think there was ever even two before that. So do you kind of consider it a slap in the face or whatever when there's these thoughts out there that Very. it's because a lot of money is being spent and just your thoughts? Here's what I'm going to say, and this is point blank. This is point blank to the – because here, here's, here's my problem. There is no $30 million fund. There is no $5 million. There is no 10 This is garbage, okay? And it does. It pisses me off that people – and here it comes from a site called Bro Bible by a guy named Slice Bread. Then everybody runs with it. So it's written on the Internet as gospel. How irresponsible is that? It's and then we gripe about the transfer portal, and you take you guys take more than everybody. Go next. If they got a problem with it, come see me. I ain't a hard guy to find. We'll be in some meetings. You can say anything you want. We can do anything you want. I ain't got no problem with it. I promise you that shit. Oh, welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Braddon. I go by SEC Michael Twitter. And man, do we got a show lined up for you first time guest joining the show travis l brown of the bryant college station eagle is going to join the show here in a bit to talk some texas a&m football as the aggies believe it or not they're heading into spring the spring game this weekend so we've got that we got the kentucky spring game we got the auburn spring game a lot of action here in the sec this weekend but of course the last episode little bit SEC West heavy. So we're going to focus a little bit more on the East. We're going to talk some Florida, some Georgia, some Tennessee before we get to our interview with Travis. But I know I said we're going to focus on the East, but I did find a little clip here. I thought this was pretty outstanding. We have already talked about this guy, the new Ole Miss tight end, Michael Trigg, Southern Cal transfer, and Lane Kiffin tweeted out a little video of Trigg dunking over young Knox Kiffin, Lane's son, of course, on the basketball court. So let's flip over to that real quick. All right, Knox, play some good defense here on Trigg. Here we go. Oh, that was good. That was it. <laughs> I just thought this was great. You know, you're seeing the, the size of this man and the athleticism and Kiffin's got a lot of faith in him if he's allowed him to jump over his little son who, if, if you're just listening, uh, Knox is not a big guy, but, uh, you know, he's probably four, four and a half feet tall here. So, and he's got trust in his tight end, to say the least, to let, uh, let the big man jump over him. But that was not the only other thing from Kiffin. I just want to make quick note of this because this is just going to be an off-season storyline. Kiffin, the troll. And, you know, it's something we talked to Travis Brown about here in a second. But we all know that the comments Kiffin has made about Texas A&M and their recruiting class. When the Aggies got their five-star on Friday, Latravius Burton, the five-star out of Georgia, Lane Kiffin retweeted it, which is, <laughs> you know what he's doing. He's out here saying, well, here we go again. The Aggies bought them another one. That's, I mean, that's the only way to read into this situation, but Hey, credit Lane Kiffin for never never going weak when it comes to his troll game. His troll game, I don't know, we'll, we'll never have a SEC coach that's a bigger troll than Lane Kiffin, safe to say. But all right, enough of that. Let's uh, start the show here in Gainesville. 
Interesting uh, comments here from Billy Napier heading into uh, the, the scrimmage that the Gators had this weekend. But the key to it, and this is something that we've seen Lane Kiffin kind of reiterate, and we've seen other coaches across the SEC, Shane Beamer, Josh Heupel, among many others, utilize the transfer portal. And this is something that we all have to realize. I mean, I, you know, some people bitch and moan about players going in and and you know, it's going to help the haves and, and not the have-nots. I mean, this is going to be a farm system. But at the end of the day, in the SEC, what it's going to allow a team like the Florida Gators, like the LSU Tigers, that's the perfect example of a roster in transition. Normally, in years past, you'd say, well, we can't judge this guy till year two, year three, year four. I mean, some schools, this has been out the window for a long time in the SEC, but some schools, you know, five years, we give this guy... And I'm not saying we need to you know, have the final verdict on Billy Napier at the end of year one, but what the transfer portal allows him to do, evaluate what he's got in spring. And in years past, you, you know, we're just trying to scheme around all these holes that we got on the roster. Not anymore. Now they can go out and attack positions of need, and that is something that uh, Billy Napier is making no secret about. Hell, they're down to one tight end out there basically letting any tight end in the transfer portal know if you're interested in the Florida Gators, we're interested in you. So let's kick it over to Billy Napier, who makes no bones about it. The Gators will be adding players. They've already added several. They're going to be adding more this offseason after we spring. We have five walk-on scholarships this spring, right? So, And we have, um, we have spots available, right? So um, – University of Florida, you can anticipate us being very aggressive in the portal this spring. Uh, we need players. And, um, you know, I think the approach is going to be, um, you know, acquire as many good players as we can at any position, right? So, um, you know, we, we're thin and, and we need help in a lot of different spots. So, um, and I think we have, we're approaching double digits, if that makes sense. Okay. So, um, you know, I think it's it's fortunate that we have that opportunity, right? It's something I'm very thankful for. Hey, you know? if I'm a Gator fan, I love this because our coach, you know, he's so meticulous. The We don't necessarily want to call it the process because I think Nick Saban, and Co they've got the patent on that right now. But, hey, Billy Napier went through it. He knows what it's about. He's, he's going day by day trying to make this the best program it can be immediately on the field next season. And it's not there yet. So – Hey, spring, this is what it's going to start becoming. This is the perfect evaluation to figure out where we're at. And, again, we got to remember here we're in early April. May 1 is the deadline for – this is a new thing for players to go into the transfer portal. And they've got to – I don't know if they've got to announce where they're going by May 1, but I believe they've got to be in the portal by May 1. So by the end of spring – we're probably going to see a lot more guys enter the transfer portal. And a lot of these SEC schools, like the Florida Gators, who are out here advertising that uh, you know they are in the market. They need help. They need players. Just keep your eye on the Florida Gators uh, as spring exit. And we'll see, based on who they add, that, it, of course, will give you another indication of where they feel like uh, the current crop of players either not getting it done or maybe they just don't fit the system, what have you. But that'll be something to monitor in Gainesville. But, of course, the Gators are only going to go as far 
this season. I don't care who they add in the transfer portal unless uh, old Bryce Young jumps in the portal or something like that. You know, you're not getting all-American type guys unless they're coming from a lower level more than likely. But what's it going to take for Florida to really excel on the field this season? It's going to take buy-in from Dan Mullen era players that are bought into what Billy Napier and company are, are teaching them this spring, this offseason. And based on uh, what Justin Shorter said, the veteran receiver who his college career could have been done with, he made the decision to return, wants to correct the wrongs last season. We all know what a terrible disappointment that was. Uh, Justin Shorter says every player on the roster is pissed off about what happened down there in Gainesville. You had a chance to sort of be the feature guy. Um, a lot, but I say it's, it's, it's not even about that, you know. Um, we got a brand new coaching staff, you know. Um, we got players that are that are hungry, you know, and just hate losing, you know, like me. Like, just think about last year, every single game about last year that we lost, you know, it just, like, makes me so angry and, like, upset where, like, everyone's working so much harder. So I, I really say just as, like, like, all of us, like, Every single player is just like so pissed off from like last year, man. Like we all just trying to come back and just get at it, really. So it's not even about that. To, to make it productive. On that field right there, you know, we go out there every day. Everyone gives, you know, all their all their all their effort. You know, DB's going hard against me. I'm going hard against them. You know, so it's just it's just really just like working, working out every day and just putting putting all in. Hey, so I just figured Florida fans would really appreciate these comments, and if this is the sentiment that's echoed in that locker room. Florida Gators are going to be just fine this season. But, of course, we, these days we can't mention the Gators without mentioning the Georgia Bulldogs. So, next let's uh, kick it all down to Athens. Where Kirby Smart and company, they held their own scrimmage this weekend. And all the buzz leading into this thing, it was all over. Stetson Bennett not getting very many reps with the ones. It's all been Carson Beck. It's all been Brock Vandergriff. Vandergriff, of course, the, the second-year five-star. Carson Beck, he's been in the program, I want to say, three years now. And he's the one from Florida that Dan Mullen wanted that Kirby snatched out from under the uh, former Gator coach. So, But Carson Beck seems to be really have, have turned a corner where everybody is, is laser-focused on Brock Vandergriff. He's a dual threat. He's got a huge, huge arm. When's he going to make that leap? So they go into this Saturday scrimmage. We've actually got uh, video highlights here that uh, Georgia tweeted out themselves. And this is just an aerial show. But it was Stetson Bennett that came out in the scrimmage and started for the Georgia Bulldogs, as you'd expect. And I say all that to say this because it's so we're so far away from the season. You know, we've got to take every bit of information we get with a grain of salt. And it was this time last year, Stetson Bennett, I know he didn't start for the Georgia Bulldogs. It was JT Daniels, but Stetson Bennett was running with the fourth team at this point in time. So, you know, maybe when you're seeing all these reports of Carson Beck and Brock Vandegrift getting all these reps with the starting unit, you know, they're really just trying to get those guys up to speed as quickly as possible in the case of that, you know, something drastically goes wrong with Stetson Bennett. He goes down to injury, what have you. But, you know, you just get the sense that the, the Georgia coaches are always pushing Stetson to let him know that he's got to stay on top of his game. And it's um, Mike Griffith is reporting here following the scrimmage, which was closed to the media, that uh, Stetson took a bunch of sacks, was not particularly clean with his passing game, 
which is, uh, of course, not what Georgia fans want to hear, but something we all have kind of grown accustomed to. But leading into this thing, you know, a lot of questions down there in Athens with the quarterback situation. It doesn't seem like we can ever escape this question in Athens. Stetson Bennett just won the national championship, but how's his status there as the starting quarterback? How's Kirby evaluating these quarterbacks? Let's kick it over to the Georgia coach. It never changes with the quarterback, guys. You could come here in 10 years from now. It's going to be the same thing as it was last year. It's decision-making, accuracy, leadership, intangibles. I mean, you know, great quarterbacks are accurate, and they make good decisions. And if you can make good decisions and be accurate and you you got good football players around them, then you're going to be you know, a pretty good football player. Uh, I want to see them execute the offense, lead the offense, make plays with their feet when things break down things that are difference makers for them and um, and overcome mistakes because there'll be some adversity out there. But uh, the good thing is those guys get an opportunity to do that every practice. Sometimes in a scrimmage, you don't even get put in bad situations. In practice, we're going to uh, manufacture tough situations, and, and they get to do those. And one other comment, because Carson Beck, like I said, he seems to be trending that uh, to the point where it may be hard for Georgia to keep him off the field. He may have to get in there in some situations to showcase what he can do on the field. Uh, let's kick it over here once again to Kirby on Carson Beck. Well, I think he has uh, really good composure. You know, Carson's never up, never down. I think that's a great quality on a quarterback. I've seen, you know, guys that are emotional and up and down like a roller coaster. He's pretty even keel. And to be honest, most of our quarterbacks are. There's no, uh, there's no guy out there that, that – loses it one way or the other but he he does a good job being very even killed and um i think he understands the system you know he's uh, another year in the system so it comes natural to him he's not nervous about what the huddle call is what's my read what's the motion what's the shift he's very cool calm and collected and does a good job uh, of managing those things with the offense so i think he's he's earned some confidence and, and earned some confidence with the players and finally a name all SEC fans know because this guy's been either committed or rumored to commit or <laughs> what have you to about half the league by this time. But uh, Arik Gilbert, who missed last season, was not with the team. Of course, now he's back. He's bulked up. Sounds like he needs to continue to work on his conditioning, lose some weight. He was listed, uh, I believe, at receiver with the, the first roster came out for spring. But he is now a tight end. And Kirby Smart gives the latest on Arik Gilbert in what could be, I mean, you're talking Gilbert, Brock Bowers, of course, the All-American, Darnell Washington, who's got All-American potential, Oscar Delp, the new signee, who I believe was, uh, if he's not number one tight end, I think he was like two or three. This could be just the greatest tight end <laughs> group in the history of uh, SEC football. So let's get over to Kirby talking the latest on Arik Gilbert. The biggest uh, hurdle for him has been the conditioning level. You know, I think that's the biggest thing is like learning the playbook and the conditioning level. Um, catching balls, that's not like, like he can catch balls. He's a good athlete. You know, he he, uh, he came back a little heavy and he admittedly would tell you that. He's done a tremendous job of being in our cardio club and dropping weight. Probably, you know, I, I'd hate to say, I don't know, somewhere between 65 and 70, 265 and 270 and he's dropping. and. Um, you know, like what's happening right now, he's starting to make more and more plays, but he's having to really work his stamina to be able to sustain during practice. And, I mean, like play after play after play after play he has to take. It's like, oh, man, i got to condition myself to get back, go again, burst, and run. 
Um, but I've been you know, pleased with he, uh, Brett, and uh, uh, Oscar have taken a tremendous load on, have gotten a lot of reps. We just think he's a tight end. I mean, at the end of the day, it's last year, uh, it was probably a greater deficit. It was uh, something that he, 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 he wanted to be more wide out. He also was much lighter, you know, so he, he, he's a little heavier now. He's more physical now. Um, he's, he's a tight end. That's, that's what he's probably going to develop. You know, there's a certain requirement as a receiver it takes to play receiver in terms of stamina, uh, running every play, going to cutoff block. You know, at tight end, our tight ends are receivers. They do play receiver, but they don't go out all the time, split out wide, and that's something that he was having to do. And he's comfortable in the role he's in right now, and he's, he's, he's really, like, he's got all the ways to go. He has not arrived, but he's come so far from not being able to execute a play to being able to execute a play, know what to do, and then hurry back and get the call in the next play and line up. I'm just proud of the way he's, he's fought to learn it. You know, he's, he's, he's fighting stamina out there because he's taking so many reps, and, and I'm really just pr pleased with his growth. And make no mistake, hey, with Todd Munkin, who he did an outstanding job. I don't know how he was not a semifinalist for the Broyles Award given to the nation's top assistant coach. I know the defense – overshadowed everything the offense did last year. But Georgia had one hell of an efficient offense. You know, with his NFL background, he loves to use these tight ends and knows how to use them and puts them in so many positions to make a play. Hell, we all know what Brock Bowers did last season. And, and Darnell Washington, you know, he didn't catch a ton of balls, but he made his presence felt on the field for the Bulldogs. You got to think that he is – Todd Monk is a kid in the candy store – with all these potential elite tight ends to use this fall in Athens. And again, I have no idea how anybody's going to guard all these guys uh, when they see the field in Athens next season. Now, last team, before we uh, get to our interview with Travis Brown, let's kick it on down to Rocky Top. You know, still some questions remain with uh, Tennessee's bringing back a lot on the offensive side of the ball, projected to have one of the nation's top offenses maybe the top offense here in the sec with uh, Hendon hooker coming back cedric tillman four or five off starting offensive linemen and multiple running backs but where we're missing on that offensive line is a tackle and darnell Wright is kicked back to the right side so now Hendon hooker's blind side no idea who that's going to be at this point in time that's something to continue to monitor but it's starting to sound like it's it's not official, but damn near official that old Brew McCoy, the Southern Cal receiver, will be playing for the Tennessee Volunteers this season. Former five-star recruit. I believe he's only played one season for Southern Cal. Missed last season. He was suspended from the team. I think he's been injured during his career as well. But you know that gives Tennessee – potentially another big-time weapon to add to the offense. But I think the guy that uh, Tennessee fans and who, who we've been hearing about this guy for a long time really needs to make his presence felt if Tennessee is really going to go to that next level because they're going to need players to step up around Cedric Tillman. And that's Jalen Hyatt, and that is someone that uh, Josh Heupel says has had an unbelievable offseason and made a huge jump in Tennessee's offense this year. So let's kick it over to Josh Heupel talking Jalen Hyatt. He also talks about Jimmy Holiday and the jumps 
that uh, he has made in Tennessee's second year under Josh Heupel. Jalen Hyde, those are the guys. <clears throat> yeah, Jalen's made a, a huge uh, jump. Um, different mindset, different focus. Because of that, different work habits. Unbelievable offseason uh, strength and conditioning before we got to, uh, to, to competing on the grass. Um, he's continuing to get better. Uh, playing in competitive situations, uh, understanding uh, how to do the things that, that we want to do at the, at the wide receiver position. Uh, playing without the football in his hands. He's become a much more physical uh, football player uh, since he's changed his body. And, and those two things go together hand in hand and gaining confidence. And that shows up in the way that he's played. Um, you know, Jimmy Holiday has done some really great things as well. And, and uh, you know, the competition is going to be ongoing at the wide receiver position. And uh, those guys all got to continue to grow. All right, so that's got to be music to the ears of Tennessee fans because they have been waiting for Jalen Hyatt Maybe the fastest player on the team. You have to imagine if he's putting in the work that Heupel says he is, that is just going to make his offense all the more explosive. And Hyatt, you know, he started to come on towards the tail end of the season. Made, I believe he scored in the Music City Bowls, making some big plays. He's got to carry over that momentum if Tennessee's going to live up to the hype. Otherwise, I don't know if they're going to have enough weapons because we don't know what we're getting in a guy like Bruce McCoy. Didn't, like I said, didn't even suit up last season. Hell, maybe he's great, but without Jalen Hyatt stepping up, I don't know. But the potential there is limitless. If Brute McCoy comes in, lives up to the hype, Jalen Hyatt takes these huge strides like Hypel saying, and then you got Tillman, who's probably going to be a preseason All-American. All of a sudden, a question mark could be uh, you know, one of the strengths of the Tennessee offense next season with a very, very talented receiving core on Rocky Town. But all right, I've held off long enough. Let's kick it over to our interview with Travis Brown of the Bryan College Station Eagle. Really, really appreciate the insight here that Travis has on the Texas A&M Aggies. Kind of went all around with the recruiting and the offseason talk and how things are going in spring leading up to the spring game here on Saturday. Aggie fans, you're really going to like this one. Hey, well, we're pleased to be joined by Travis Brown, who he's covered the Texas A&M Aggies for a long, long time at the Bryan College Station Eagle. And you got to give him a follow at Travis underscore L underscore Brown. Travis, thank you so much for joining me for the first time. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is great. And hey, like I was just saying uh, off air here, you know, we like to stick to football. This is strictly an SEC football show, but I got to ask you about basketball because I know you were up there for the NIT up in New York City. And I know normally that sometimes the NIT, it's kind of like, uh, who cares? But man, I saw Aggies were all over this thing. It was such a tremendous uh, tournament and you got to go up there to New York City, City and cover the event. So what was that like? Man, it was fun. You know, I've covered the the NCAA tournament before, back when A and M was there in you know 2016 and 2018, and it's it's fun because it's the NCAA tournament and it's exciting. But man, it, it's it's like an away game for those teams when you're there in the NCAA tournament because you know you just go to the hotel, you're in Dayton or Oklahoma City or whatever, and you kind of just hang around the hotel and you play your games and leave. Man, especially since they won, they were up there for a whole week, and it's it's kind of like a bowl experience as close as you can for these basketball players, because they get to 
walk around the city. They get to go to the museums. They get to, you know, I think Buzz took the team to the Lion King one of the first nights they were there. So, I mean, it's as close as like a football bowl experience where, you know, those football players get to go and see some sites and do some stuff in town as you can. So I think for the players in that regard, it's, it's about as cool as of anything you can do in basketball off the court. Um, and then on the court, I mean, you're playing in Madison square garden, a historic venue. Um, it, it, it's cool. You know, it's, it's cooler than, than I, I thought it was. I think, like you said, there's a little bit of a stigma with the NIT because it is kind of the, the consolation tournament, but from the experience realm, um, getting to go and do all that as, as a player, I think it's awesome. And then to tie it back into football again, when you make a wrong, long run in the NIT, especially with a young team like AM has, it's like bowl practice. I mean, they get to be on the court practicing, being together, uh, building the building blocks for next season uh, longer than, than, I mean, if you compare it to the NCAA tournament, they're, they're, they're getting to do that as long as any team uh, that makes it to the final four, because there was really only the final four left uh, besides the NIT finals. So um, yeah, great experience for everyone. And uh, I think it is, I mean, you look at, at the, um, the tenures of, of coaches, a lot of times the NIT is a springboard into a, a run for years to come in the NCAA tournament. And so I think that's what Aggie fans are, are hoping this will be. Yeah. And maybe I shouldn't have been so surprised because we all know how passionate that A&M fan base is, but I mean, the fans were out and like I said, you know, they were celebrating the, the deep run into the NIT all the way literally to a Man, a basket went in and out, could have won the championship. But uh, next season, hopefully Buzz Williams and company back in the postseason in the NCAA tournament. But, hey, I got to ask you about the tournament that uh, that the Aggies have yet to been to, and that's, of course, the college football playoff, ever so close in 2020. Uh, what's your thoughts on all this preseason expectation, Travis? I don't, I'm sure you've seen it because you cover this team on a daily basis, but a lot of people have the Aggies as a top-10 team. Some people have them as high as top five. What's uh, I know I know that's so far down the road, but do you think that that kind of top ten talk is warranted at this time for Jimbo Fisher and the Aggies? I mean, I think it's it's there's a little added um, bit of that when you do bring in the the the, the number one class of all time according to you know two four sevens composite. Uh, I I think it depends on. I, I think that they're getting those rankings based on potential, which, I mean, I guess almost all preseason rankings are that, but, but especially um, this program, because they're going to have to rely on some of those five-star um, freshmen to step right in and, and, and fill the role. And they're going to have to um, find a quarterback who, who is consistent. And, and I mean, they have the options with Haynes King and Max Johnson and, and, um, the freshman Connor Wigman uh, battling it out for, for that. But um, th there is still a lot of question marks, but I think that they're, they're not, well, I don't know who's going to fill this spot. It's who, who out of this large deck of options is going to fill these spots. And um, so I, I think you could say that those rankings are off of potential, but I think the potential is there if you look at how highly rated a lot of these guys coming in are and, and how highly rated the guys who have been there a little bit were when they were coming in, uh, it's just a matter of putting the pieces together um, and making them mesh and especially defensively. And, and then you have to look to 
because they are bringing in a new defensive coordinator and DJ Durkin, who is not Mike Elko, but is highly regarded and, and see how everything meshes around how he wants to do defense, because uh, you could pretty much hang your hat on Mike Elko's defenses over the last uh, two or three years here in college station. And, and so those are kind of the, the question marks, but like I said, they're, 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 they're questions that have a lot of answers. It's not questions that, that you just don't know where the answer is going to come from. Mm -hmm. And you know, I wanted to ask you this because um, Jimbo is at times a very passionate guy, and we've already seen this offseason, you know, comments from Lane Kiffin, comments from Nick Saban, comments from Kirby Smart. What's your read on just what you know covering the team and, and Jimbo and kind of his, particularly right after signing day, I mean, he came out here and was firing brimstone, a man about, about people calling him out. And I know for a fact Jimbo – he works his butt off on recruiting. I mean, he, he's in the he's in the car. He's on the phone with the recruit, and that's just his lifestyle. That's the way you got to be if you're going to recruit in the SEC and you're going to haul in the number one class. So, do you think there is any uh, some real animosity there, or is this maybe just some gamesmanship here? I think it's probably a little bit more gamesmanship. He's come back. You know, they had the SEC coaches meetings a couple weeks, and and we asked him kind of jokingly about if any. Uh, there was any any kerfuffles or anything there and he said no everything's good i think that um i think that you know to talk about whatever if if AM had put up some huge amounts of money for the recruiting class and paid for the recruiting class i mean that's just some of that is uh, is 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 counter recruiting is is uh negative recruiting some of that is Lane Kiffin just being Lane Kiffin and and making cracking jokes. Um, so I, you know, I, I think that Jimbo felt like he needed to set the record straight um, to defend his his recruiting staff, his assistant coaches, because I mean they are all over the place, like you said, doing the work and recruiting and building the relationships, and there's something to that. So I think he felt the need to defend that, but I think ultimately the 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 banter and the back and forth it was more fun than actual um malice and so i you know it'll probably get brought back up when a&m and old miss are squaring off and some of those things but i i think it's going to be um to the coaches it's going to be old news by then i think it's just uh, i don't want to say it's just uh, them having fun but i think it's it's not much further than that well i'll tell you what it's good for you and i travis certainly in the off season so <laughs> keep it coming but uh, speaking of Lane Kiffin, I know this is unrelated to, to A&M, but, man, that man loves to go for it on fourth down. And I wanted to ask you about Jimbo and his last season in particular, his his philosophy on fourth down. The Aggies only went for it ten times on fourth down. That was the fewest in the SEC. Uh, do you think that's more of a product of, uh, you know, maybe they didn't have full trust in their quarterbacks because because obviously there were some issues there, injuries and and everything with that but do you think Jimbo needs to get a little bit more aggressive on fourth down because it, it just seems like that's the way the game's going but he, he and he's particularly called out these uh analytics and all this it, so I don't know what's your thought on on Jimbo and and his adversity to fourth down I guess you could call it well I think you could look at it the same way on two different sides of the coin. Yeah, they they didn't really have a great quarterback situation last year. They were really really bad on third down, um, and and so I I think you could look on it look at it that way a little bit and say yeah, um, you know 
that's that's might not be the best situation to put the the quarterback the offensive end offense in but on the other hand their defense was really good it was one of the best in the sec and so i think that there was a little bit of thought there that if they're gonna um win a ball if they're gonna lean on a side of the ball to win a ball game they're always going to lean on the defense i mean i before i came to cover a and I covered TCU and that was kind of you know Gary Patterson was always a, a strong defensive mind and everything that and it was the same way with him I mean it didn't matter um kind of what the actual ranking of his defense was if there was a situation where to go for it or to punt late in a game he was always going to punt because he was going to lean on his defense to um to, to win the ball game I, I don't think Jimbo necessarily is the same fully in that regard but I think when you look at what they had last year their defense is what was winning them ball games, and so they were going to let the defense win ball games for them. It could change if they come out and have a really high-powered offense with what they bring back, and the quarterback is flying, and they can do that. Sure, they might they might go for it a little bit more, but I really think it has a lot to do with with the personnel, and and I just don't think they had they really didn't have late down personnel on offense last year that that was able to consistently do anything. So I think that's why they were saying, Hey, let's, let's let the defense um, win ball games for us. Mm -hmm. Now you already referenced the quarterback competition. You know, we all assume Max Johnson, Haynes King, that's going to be the battle, but Hey, I know it's early, but here in, you know, halfway through spring, it sounds like Connor Weigman's really stood out as someone that, uh, you know, deserves his name thrown into the conversation. Based on what you know, do you think that's just, you know, they're letting the, the young kid get his reps in and this will eventually get whittled down to two? Or do you think the uh, the five-star freshman is really in this competition? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preface everything I say moving on here from the, for, with, with this, and that is because of the uh, long NIT run, I haven't actually been able to get out to spring practice. The little bits and pieces of, of minutes of spring practice we've been able to see this year. Um, Robert Cessna, my my my, my uh, colleague, has been doing a lot more of the football. So I'll preface that, and then I haven't really gotten to see them throw this spring yet. I will be able to at the spring game this Saturday. But that being said, I, I've heard the comments. I've I've talked with people. We've we've heard what Jimbo's had to say, and I think the thing that's actually I, 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 the, this is the way I put it. I think if you if I was going to put my money on it, I would put my money on Haynes King because he's the guy who's been here for two years. He won the job last year. He has good dual threat ability. Um, he, he's pretty exciting. I, uh, I I would put my money on on Haynes King. If I was betting your money, <laughs> I'd bet on Connor Wegman um, because of the way that Jimbo has talked about him. I know there was a lot of conversation around the time that Quinn Ewers, the Ohio State quarterback who uh, transferred into Texas, was on the market about if Jimbo would be in the mix for that. And, and it, without mentioning yours, he himself kind of brought up around um, National Signing Day time the fact that Connor Wigman is his man. He thinks Connor Wigman was the best quarterback on the market in that class, you know, compared to anybody. And, and he was high on Connor Wigman the whole time. That was his dude. And um, to have a, a college coach who – most college coaches ne don't necessarily like to go out on a limb and put a lot of pressure on a freshman who hasn't actually done anything in college. They'll, they'll say, you know, they're, they're big, they're strong, they're this or that, but they don't necessarily want to just um, put a lot on the shoulders. He's put a lot on Connor Wigman's shoulders so far as far as um, saying that, that he's his guy and he's going to be his guy. And so uh, there, there's, there, I think there's something to that. Um, we'll just have to see how it, it, it does shape out and who, who does step up and, and um, take the reins. But 
do I think that probably Haynes King's going to be under center for the first game? Yes. Do I think that it would surprise me at all if it's Connor Wegman? Not at all. Mm-hmm. Now, who do you think steps up at the receiver? I mean, we know we got Anaya Smith, who's receiver slash halfback. I mean, he's borderline All-American. But if you just look at recent history in the SEC, outside of Georgia maybe because they had such a dominant defense, but you know, you look at Alabama's and LSU's and all these teams – you really need to have some some game breakers all across the board at the receiver position. And I know the Aggies got some guys, Euclid Brown, Moose Muhammad. They just signed a, a, an incredible five-star, Evan Stewart. Uh, which of those guys you think, uh, or, or maybe all of them, are poised for breakout seasons? And Because I think the Aggies are really going to need several of those guys to step up if they're truly going to be SEC college football playoff contenders. Yeah, I mean, they return at Caleb Chapman is a guy who at times when he's been healthy has been a really good vertical threat. I mean, you look back at the Florida game two years ago, uh, his touchdown where he actually ultimately ended up tearing his ACL. Um, he is a guy that everyone has been excited to see what he's been able to do. Um, Nia Smith, you mentioned, is going to be the, the bell cow of that group um, returning and, and, and what he can do out of the slot, what he can do out of the backfield. Um, he, he's just a versatile weapon. Uh, you know, Chase Lane was a guy that they leaned on a little bit last year when they had injuries and what was going on um, with, with, with some of those guys. And, and Jalen Preston is a guy that they leaned on uh, there. Uh, Moose Muhammad uh, is, a, is a redshirt sophomore, a guy that had some really great catches. But yeah, you mentioned Yul Keith Brown. I think he's going to be a guy who's really going to step up, who, who people have talked a lot about. And then you have um, uh, Evan Stewart and Chris Marshall and and uh, some of those guys get to step on. It's a big, deep group of guys. Um, the thing, there's two things that I'd like to see out of this group. Who is going to be the deep threat if, if Caleb Chapman can stay healthy? Because having a deep threat, having a guy who can get behind the defense is something that when Caleb Chapman hasn't been healthy, they haven't really necessarily had. Um, and if they're going to have a guy who is uh, tall, who is physical, um, who, who will be able to go up and get a ball, um, because that's not something they've really even necessarily had since um, you might want to even go back to Ricky Seals Jones. Uh, and he wasn't necessarily great at it when he was in college, at least um, just to have that guy who can go up and get a ball um, is something that they've kind of been lacking in years past. I know uh, Jalen Weiermeyer at tight end has been a guy who, who at times could go do that, but, but it wasn't necessarily a, a, a key part of his game. Um, so yeah, those are the two things I'm, I want to see the guy who is the, the, the breakaway guy. And I want to see the guy who is the high point guy, because those are two things that necessarily this team has been lacking. They've basically been a, a team of possession receivers um, who, who can break out and be those, those, those stars at those kind of roles. Now let's say Smith, let's just technically call him a receiver. And we know we got a chain. who's incredible, incredible speed, but in the sec, you're going to need depth at running back, uh, particularly the way Jimbo likes to run his system. So who's that next you know, number two, number three running back for the Aggies this year with uh, the great spiller off to the NFL. The kids from uh, Miami, I believe you got LJ Johnson, you got Amari Daniels, um, who are two highly, highly recruited guys, highly thought of guys um, who, who got some time last year. Those are going to be the guys to, to, to spell him um, and, and work through that. I, but there, there are um, freshmen and Richard freshmen and a sophomore. And so it'll be interesting to see, who steps up in that second position, who's going to be um, the, the change of pace guy. And, and if someone steps up, because then they might have to lean on Devon A chain 
um, a lot more than probably they would like. So those are going to be the two guys to look out for to see um, who's going to step up. LJ Johnson's a little bit more of the physical back. And so I would that would probably be why I'd give him the nod because A-Chain has the speed uh, and, and the elusiveness. So if you want to get a little change of pace, a uh, third down back, LJ Johnson is probably going to be that guy. Now you reference uh, the new defensive coordinator, DJ Durkin. I've heard Jimbo say, you know, they, they're not going to reinvent the defense. It's played, they've been so good on that side of the ball. Uh, what do you think, you know, any changes there are to the A&M defense uh, with DJ Durkin running the show? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest question early on before we talked to Jimbo was, is he going to run a three-man front or is he going to run a four-man front? Uh, and Jimbo, like you said, said they're, they're going to stick with that four-man front. So I think it's going to be pretty close to what they've had uh, in that basically a 4-2-5 um, or, or a 4-3 or a, a, a four, uh, four um, with a nickel back, you know, with some nickel packages, whatever you kind of want to call it. But um, yeah, I, I think that the, the what, what would seem like the biggest question mark is going to be the defensive line because, of course, they lose Tyree Johnson, DeMarvin Leal, Jaden Peavy, Michael Clemens, um, all the starting four. But they, they have a deep rotation there, and that's just going to get um, uh, filled in with uh, you know, Shamar Turner in the middle, uh, McKinley Jackson in the middle, um, Fahil Diggs is a guy, uh, uh, Jason Harris is a guy who can be at the defensive end. There's probably a little bit more question marks at the, uh, the edge rushers, um, than, than the middle of the field, because then behind that, you've got, uh, Isaiah rakes, uh, who has some, uh, some experience. You have Walter Nolan, the, the number two guy in the nation who can step right in and probably is going to see times. And then you have, you know, they brought in, what was that? I believe it was five, five-star defensive linemen uh, in this class. And so, uh, Gabriel Brownlow, Dindy, uh, uh, Anthony Lucas, uh, Shamar Stewart, uh, and I white, any of those guys could step in at any time and, and see what they can do as a freshman. So while it seems like a big question mark, losing four guys, man, they, they reloaded, they didn't, they're not rebuilding there. Uh, and then just to kind of see what, um, the, the, um, uh, linebacker situation looks like because probably it's going to be Edron Cooper, Chris Russell guys who were rotating in, they lose Aaron Hansford, who is, uh, kind of the main guy there due to graduation. But yeah, I mean, again, you look across the board, it's a lot of reloading, not necessarily rebuilding uh, because most of the guys who are stepping in to positions where the guys that have, have uh, left off is are guys with a lot of experience. So um, just getting adjusted to those new roles, but the defense looks like, again, it's going to be one of the strengths of the, the program. Yeah. And the Aggies probably added another five-star lineman since we've had been on this call, but <laughs> let me ask you about the secondary. Do you think it's going to be the best secondary uh, that you've seen uh, since you're, you've been covering the Aggies? It's going to be up there. Um, yeah. Because the secondary hasn't necessarily been some of the strong suits in, in, in the past six years or so, it's definitely going to be one of the most experienced secondaries. Um, you know, I, I think you, you lose a, a gamer in, in Leon O'Neal, but uh, Antonio Johnson has proven he's, he is going to be great. Jalen Jones has a ton of experience. Um, you have Damani Richardson coming back, uh, uh, who, who is a, a, a veteran uh, safety. And so uh, Tyreek Chapel and Deuce Harmon were guys who got uh, um, lots of work at cornerback too because of um, injuries throughout the season. So it is... Uh, I will see, like to see how they they all mesh together, but it is certainly the most experienced, I believe, defensive secondary that AM has had in the last six years or so. All right, last thing for you, Travis. I really appreciate all your time. I don't know if you've seen it. I put it out there, and we touched on it um, on Monday's edition of the show, 
but uh, the Wind Casino in Las Vegas, they were the first ones to put out the over-under win totals for uh, SEC West teams, and they've got the Aggies at nine. Now, you said, I don't want to put your money on it. Let's say you're putting my money on it. Are you going <laughs> over for the Aggies, which would mean 10, 10 and 2 or better, or are you going under, which would be another disappointing eight and four type campaign for uh, Jimbo and company. Man, uh, you know, that's, that, that's interesting. I, I, you know, I think they have it pretty darn close to right because you, you, the, the Aggies go uh, to Alabama this year, um, which is, you know, always a tough one. They, they, to, to go to Tuscaloosa, they're also, I don't know what Auburn's going to present, but they're at Auburn. And again, that's a, a, a um, series that they have not had a whole lot of success winning on the road in Auburn. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, man, I think nine is about right. Cause I don't think I would put them beating all, uh, Alabama this year. Um, but I, I don't think that there's anyone else on the schedule that they necessarily couldn't beat. I think Ole Miss is an interesting one, but it's at home. And they have Florida at home, but that's a new head coach. Um, man, I, I'm going to put it right at the push. I'm going to put it at nine because I think that's about about right. Okay, yeah, you're a smart man. These Hey, Vegas knows what they're doing. You know what I mean? So <laughs> that is a great number. But, hey, I, I appreciate all your time, Travis. Give them a follow at Travis underscore L underscore Brown and check out all the outstanding work he does for the Bryan College Station Eagle. Thank you so much for, uh, for dropping some A&M knowledge on us. You got it. Anytime, man. All right, so just want to say thanks for Travis for joining the show. Like I said, I mean, that was a terrific interview. Uh, I really appreciate his time. And don't forget to give him a follow at Travis underscore L underscore Brown on the Twitter machine. But that is going to wrap us up for today's episode of the show. We're going to have uh, some more over-under betting lines in the SEC, this time for the SEC East. Those are going to be coming up here soon. I was told Tuesday. We'll see if that happens. If it does, we'll try to break those down as soon as possible because it certainly seemed like a lot of you love the uh, the over-under talk for the SEC West team. So we're still on the lookout for the East. We've had a few uh, listeners reach out to us for show topics. So we got ideas of flowing here for the offseason. Really appreciate it. Keep those coming. If you got a question for us, shoot it on over. We're happy to tackle it at some point in time here in the near future. And don't forget, as always, you made it this far. Give us that five-star written review on the Apple Podcast app. Or if you're an Android user, you can rate us on Spotify now. That also helps the show out. And if you do one of those reviews and you send it on over to that thatsecpodcast at gmail.com, we'd be happy to send you a beer koozie free of charge just for doing that but that's going to do it for this episode we'll catch you on the next one